Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here as always with dear friend, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How's it going today, Wendy? It's going great, Marty. How are you? Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to today's topic, of course. Yes, I love the name, too. Hidden Gems. <laughs> it's, to me, that's what it's all about. Getting yes. that next layer where you're just knocking off a bunch of things at once and maybe your client doesn't even know. Yes. And the thing is, is we're supposed to be making things fun. So whatever we can do to incorporate a little bit of things they enjoy, which we know has really good benefit, is just a win-win for both. So for sure. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, I, let's get started. How about that? I like it. Why not? Jump in here. <laughs> okay. So if we go to the this slide, we're going to actually kind of just tell you what we're going to cover in a little more detail. So we're going to discuss a little bit of the differences between movement patterns and how it, the overall effectiveness of, of of exercise. I mean, you know, again, movement is exercise. And so we want to make sure that we are incorporating really good movement patterns. Uh, Marty and I have done the, the uh, functional movement patterns and, and basically what there's seven uh, movement patterns that we really do pretty much every single day. So we've talked about that. And um, then we're going to talk about Marty's accidental exercise. And I, I love it when you discuss that because you know what, if we can do it on accident and it's going to burn more calories, why not? And then we're going to talk about some of our favorite exercises that we do and with our clients right now that have multiple different, you know, training advantages, of course. So, okay, so it's accidental, purposeful, but whatever. Same. True, true. <laughs> it's accidental to the client, purposeful for us. Yes. And you know what? Again, if we can sprinkle in the fun part about it and not get so detailed in the science. And I think oftentimes that's where we go wrong is we try to, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but kind of throw up at the mouth of look at all that I know. And at the end of the day, the client could care less. They want you to be knowledgeable. They hired you for a reason. So what can you do to help them achieve their goals safely, effectively, efficiently? Um, and, and still have the outcome they're looking for. At the end of the day, they want to be able to get in their pants or whatever, you know, whatever it was that, you know, got them through the door in the first place. So. Absolutely. It's all about that. Right. But apply the science simultaneously. Always. Always. So Marty, talk to us about movement patterns here. Yeah. So when Wendy and I are talking to clients or when we're talking sometimes even peer to peer, we may use the term, I like this exercise. I like this. But rarely can you really truly isolate a muscle. We're training movements. So like even say we're doing an anterior tib exercise, right? Yes, we're activating just the anterior tib, but there's still going to be muscles that are stabilizing the other joints, et cetera, et cetera. So there's very isolated exercises into not very isolated exercises. So we truly are, even if we're going to start with isolated, like we do in corrective, we're working towards integration techniques integration techniques, which are more of these movement patterns. So when you see this individual here to the right, someone could say, oh, she's running, she's bounding, she's jumping. Yes, but technically she's doing triple flexion, triple extension. The only thing that difference is speed and then velocity and maybe, you know, the volume of what she's doing to take it from a run to a sprint to a bound, et cetera. But it's that patterning that we're looking for. So as Wendy said, we're always looking to be precise with our movement patterning but our client doesn't always necessarily need to get into that type of technical conversation. They're like, just, what do you want me to do? I want mm -hmm. you to run. And if we build the progressions, this can happen when it's appropriate because there's a lot of things we can do to build these patterns before it's time to do 
the highest level of it, which would be generally speaking in our power phase. So I just like this exercise or this picture of this movement pattern because she's really doing it really well. You'll see on that back leg, her left, that full extension. And it's nice. She actually has a neutral spine. Sometimes you grab these pictures off the internet and you'll see excessive curvatures. She's got that leg at 90 degrees and we could assume that she'd be putting her right foot into dorsiflexion. You got the arm action going. That's triple flexion, triple extension. So there's a lot of things we can do with some hidden gem exercises to get this going. So I just wanted to kind of talk about movement pattern versus an exercise, and then we'll kind of jump into it from there. Well, and I think it's important too, like when we're actually progressing, because, you know, if you're walking, you're going into triple flexion, triple extension, and we don't even think about that. And that's one of the things we want to, to reiterate to your clients. Like, listen, we're going to really overemphasize some of these movements when we're doing some of the exercises, because the carryover is going to be greater when we do, like you said, speed them up. So for example, when I'm actually trying to teach clients how to go into triple extension, triple flexion without getting, you know, all sciency on them, I may even just do a step up to balance. And as they're stepping up, they're going into triple flexion. And when they come up, they go, I'm sorry, triple extension. And then when they come up, they go into triple flexion and hold it. And then as they come down, they go back into triple extension and then completely come off of it and then repeat. Um, often when I see people do some step up to balance, it's just they're putting their foot up, stepping up and stepping back, right back off. And you want to be very specific in the quality of the movement and what what is it that you're trying to achieve? And that's one of the things that I work on just with that one exercise alone. Because again, when I start doing other exercises that it, as as you're programming, we've said this multiple times, we're trying to program very good information in. So while it's very slow, very controlled, they understand what you're looking for, then it makes it makes everything else easy because they're so used to doing it without thinking about it, that when they start to do, like you said, the sprinting, the bounding and all these other exercises, it just becomes second nature because you've done it in phase one or wherever you are and you're incorporating that specific type of exercise. Right. And I remember one time when I was training somebody years ago and I went to go bring in the lunge and she's like, oh, I don't lunge. And I'm like, why? She's like, well, every time I lunge, my knee hurts. Well, this wasn't my first session with her and nor would I have done a lunge the first session. I've been training for six weeks and I know I've told you a story. Long story short, I said, hey, if this bothers you, I'll train you for the next three months for free. The reason being was she was thinking of an exercise. I was progressing her movement patterns knowing that she was ready to progress to the movement pattern of triple flexion, triple extension from a lunge. And everything went perfect once I showed her, cued her, and let her know that she'd been building to this. So again, that's why we'll talk about exercises, but we're going to really train movement patterns for us. And it is awesome to see that light bulb go off like, wait a minute, I just did that and it didn't hurt. Right. It's like, well, yes, because we're looking at your, you know, the, and I hate to say we're looking at angles, but we really are. And if you're doing, as Marty said, you're really teaching a proper step up, a proper single leg squat, a proper lunge, all of them should go into, you know, maintaining proper alignment. So we're looking for from a, you know, a side view, we're really looking for parallel lines. And if you have parallel lines, and I've said this so many times, and I will say it again, the reason we look for those parallel lines is because then we know we have equal weight distribution between the ankle, the knee and the hip. And so therefore, we're not putting excess stress on the, you know, the anterior portion of the knee, we're not letting the knee go past you know, the, the toes, we're trying to keep the knee in line with the second, third toe. We're trying to make sure that they have the correct forward movement pattern and that we're loading it correctly because 
again, proper movement is going to lead to better movement patterns, which is going to decrease injury and pain. You know, people don't want to do something that hurts and I don't either. And so we're going to make sure that when they're doing it, that they don't hurt. And, and those of you guys that are just joining Marty Miller and I, we're on the master instructor roundtable this week talking about hidden gems. And so far we haven't even dug into a lot of our exercises. We're just talking about basic movement patterns, but now Marty, let's go into our next, um, you know, the next slide here, because I think it's really important when we're talking about movement patterns that we continue on with this conversation. So as we move forward here and we still look at movement patterns, the big one next is going to be a squat and our favorite, the squat to row specifically, but do you want to kind of walk us through this? Yeah. So, you know, I'd already talked about with my client, how we eventually got her to lunges. It starts here, right? And now we're not going to get into all the other corrective exercise strategies that would be brought in before we get to the integration exercise. We're really here today to talk about a lot of those type of exercises we like for integration and things like that. So when you squat, as you can see on the left, she's getting into triple flexion, triple extension. As she's rowing, a couple things happen is the row allows you to offset some weight in front. So it's easier now to get in the right position for someone who's not ready for an unweighted or unassisted squat. So they think it's this really cool compound exercise. Oh, I'm advanced. Yeah, potentially. But I'm also allowing you to learn how to groove that squat because I need you to learn that motion and let your body understand what that proper positioning is, the right depth, how to keep your feet straight. But then as she comes up, as she pulls, now she's going to, that weight, as she gets into that shoulder retraction, helps guide her hips into full hip extension, which a lot of people, when they squat, they stay in hip flexion and the glute is a hip extender. You got to get into hip extension. And then of course, we're always working on the postural muscles. So there's some neuromuscular coordination, but there's also some reflexive training that's going to teach what a proper squat should feel like, how you're allowed to sit back into it. So it's a great exercise for beginners, advanced, intermediates, you name it. I'll do this, you know, just as a movement preparation sometimes to get my mind right before I go into something that I'm very capable of. But this is kind of, you know, I kind of call it like, you know, warming things up or kind of getting in the groove. So you can use this for anybody, but it's a phenomenal hidden gem exercise for people who aren't ready to squat yet. But also there's a metabolic demand there because you're moving your full body. And depending on the person, if you're doing it in stabilization phase, you could do this in a strength phase, but 12 to 20 reps at a four, two, two, uh, zero tempo with some weight, you're going to burn some calories too, but you're not going to load the spine. So it's really, to me, this is why I put it in there for us, Wendy. It's a home run. Yes. And, and again, this is one of my favorite exercises and I do it on two legs. I do it then when I know that they can control it to make it more challenging. I then go to a single leg. So a single leg squat to row because I'm working on the, you know, contralateral movements, which is more core demand, you know, stability. But Marty, can you go into a little more detail? Because you described this very, very well, but I think it's, it's, I want to hit home a little bit more. One right. of the reasons we love this when someone has overactive calves. And of course, we've gone through proper foam rolling. We've gone through, you know, really focusing on the lateral compartment of, of the calf complex, really kind of focusing a little bit on the short head of the bicep fem, which also can contribute to the external rotation. When we do ball squats, or we do a movement like this with the weight pulling us forward, can you tell us how that gives us dorsiflexion? Sure. So two things, we'll start with the ball squat. So if I'm doing a ball squat, my feet have to come out slightly in front because I can't 
be right underneath the ball and still let my hips sink back. So just by moving my feet forward a few inches, that allows some extra range of motion in the ankle. It doesn't require as much dorsiflexion to be underneath me straight up, straight down. So as Wendy said, we're not using it as a crutch to ignore the corrective strategy. We're using it after the corrective strategy to st still give this person a total body workout and let them learn how to squat. So that that's one way. Now, a little bit differently, but same. Uh, my feet are still going to be straight underneath me on the squat to row. But because as I reach out in front of me and the weight is there, it basically the way you can look at it is it forces your core to activate because you're holding on to that weight out in front of you on a cable or bands, depending, or a suspension trainer. So it takes a little pressure off your glutes. Your glutes don't have to be quite as strong. Plus, your core is being forced to stabilize. So it allows you to sit back a little further and not put as much restriction at the foot and ankle. So they're both phenomenal kind of workarounds. But again, that's a temporary workaround in the sense that we're always going to target the corrective exercise strategy, foot and ankle. We're going to get the person to where they can get off the squat to row if they so choose. Even though I can move without having to do a squat to row, I still kind of groove that exercise a couple times um, a month, at least just to, again, get that firing pattern. If I'm not fully uh, moving well that day, this is something I'm absolutely going to do to kind of get things moving in the right direction to get me ready to go off. So this is why this is such a, uh, to me, one of the tools in your toolbox you have to have mm -hmm. to be able to teach a good squat to row. Yes. And, and those of you guys that are just joining Marty and I, when we're talking about these hidden gems, um, you know, on the, on the master instructor roundtable, I think it's very, very important to think so far, all we've talked about is movement patterns, but if you even put just the squat and then the triple extension, triple flexion, guys, these are something that we do every single day. You, we really are focusing when we're doing the squat to row. Yes. We're working on the muscles that tend to be underactive. So especially the glutes and the rhomboid and mid to low trap area, those tend to be weaker muscles. So, I mean, getting everything to play nicely together with the upper body and lower body, working on triple extension, triple flexion, these are movement patterns we do every single day. And so again, you know, where I'm talking about our specific exercises right now, we're still looking at just teaching proper movement patterns and breaking it up and thinking about what exercises can help us achieve proper movement of the joint is only going to contribute to better movement patterns long-term as you continue to advance the exercise, advance the clients and, and go, you know, keep continue to move forward in the programming. Um, but then I think that kind of brings us now into some of the exercises that we do that have multiple, I think, benefit, if you will. Um, but, you know, before we, we start specifically with the exercises, Marty, tell us about this accidental exercise and why you chose this particular picture. Yeah. So to me, accidental exercise is a concept that, you know, I don't know if I was the first one to come up with this term, but you know, you know me, I've been using it is sometimes you are doing things you don't even know you're doing because you're forced to do them. If you're, you know, if you're on a certain piece of equipment or doing a certain exercise, especially if you are having your proper form and technique. So let's look at the curved non-motorized treadmill here. So you are the motor and you are the brakes on a curved non-motorized treadmill. There is no belt moving. So for me, I love this for my senior citizens because they can't shuffle on it. If they can't shuffle, what does it make them do? Neurologically, they have to change the length of their stride to get that deck moving. Accidental exercise. Because if I put them on a motorized treadmill, they can still shuffle, right? All I got to do is pick up their foot, the belt passes underneath, and they're walking. Now, I'll take the activity. Do not get me wrong. Not everyone has access to the curve non-motorized. 
But if you ask me what my preference is, I'm going to spend some time on a curved non-motorized because of the accidental exercise. Some other you know, things are I can't lean forward on a curved non-motorized treadmill because I'll get going too fast and I have to auto-correct, stand up straight. I have to get into full hip extension to propel that. I also have to dorsiflex mm -hmm. to not kick my toe into the front of that curved belt. So there's so many things. We can get into cognitive fitness. We can get into the higher caloric expenditure. But that shows you how much hidden gems or accidental exercise is just done by even walking on the curve non-motorized treadmill. Mm -hmm. And I like that, especially again, with, with a lot of my clients that I do, I get them walking, I get them looking down at their feet, really focusing on trying to keep their to toes pointed forward. I mean, I don't want them looking down because again, I don't want to put their cervical spine in a bad position. However, I do want them to do periodic checks. And I mm -hmm. think that starts to teach them because I one thing that I, I had someone tell me, I, I tell my client this all the time. I want you to always look at your feet, do a self-check throughout the day. How are you standing? When you're at the grocery store, what are you doing? Um, when you're picking up your kids, what are your feet doing? Because the more they start to understand how they move throughout the day, I'm holding them accountable. And they're like, you're always in my head. I look down and, and now I'm looking at other people's feet. You've heard me say that before. That means I'm doing my job. I'm making them aware of how they're moving, but then also making them aware of how others are moving. And then they'll be like, oh my goodness, the, you know, th those people, you know, the, the, I saw three people today and their feet were so far out, like their back has got to be killing them or this is happening or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm just using that as an example. And I'm like, I know it's, it's now that you know the difference and they're like, yeah, but I would have never thought about that unless you told me. It's so like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, but then they start to really watch themselves. They're watching their children. They're watching their husband. Everyone kind of in the household is like, what are your feet doing? And I mean, Marty, you called me out. Like I had been traveling. I did not, I wasn't doing my corrective exercises and my right foot just decided it was totally going to go a different direction. And Battle you know away. what? I know. But at the same time, I wasn't realizing I was doing it because I was just so focused on, you know, the task at hand that what did I do? I came back. I started foam rolling. I start stretching because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person someone is talking about. And, uh, you know, and, we, and that's the big thing is I think when you're meeting with your clients, really spend time explaining to them why having the feet forward is so important and why standing and the way that you sit in a chair, how all of that can contribute to the repetitive movement that you don't want to have because it's, it's not, it's going to attribute to something that's not comfortable later. 100%. There you have it. That's Mic it. drop. Teach them. <laughs> So let's move on to, to the actual exercises. So one of the hidden gems that I love is a push-up with rotation. And, you know, I often hear people say, well, I can't do a push-up and I can't do this. And I so much negative. I can't, 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 can't. Well, here's the deal. As you guys know, you have to have progressions and regressions with every single exercise that we do. And so if somebody is, is learning how to do a push-up, of course, we've talked about modified push-ups. You could do something holding onto a bar if you have a Smith machine and that bar is locked and it's safe. You could use a bench as long as it's comfortable. So something that's not putting them all the way to the ground. Um, you can also do, um, you know, push-ups on the knees, which some people, they don't, they don't like to do that. However, that is an option because you're decreasing, obviously, how much you're lifting and pushing because you're shortening the lever. 
Just make sure your feet stay planted on the ground if your knees are on the ground. So don't lift them up because that can start to trigger activation in the hamstrings, which we're focusing on the glutes and the core. But for me, I love this one because it is a, it's a plank. It's a high plank. So you're working core strength. You're working shoulder stability as you're going up and down and hopefully adding that plus. And as we know, when people wing, so if shoulder blades come up, we call them wingers sometimes because the shoulder blades should lie flat on the back. And if they don't, then you're going to notice that the, the border kind of comes out at an angle. And so we'll call them wingers. That's why we get that term. And what that means is the serratus interior is usually weak. And so when you add that plus, you're really working on shoulder stabilizing. You're working on good um, you know, movement throughout your shoulders in line with your thoracic spine. And then of course, we're the muscle that we're trying to activate here, obviously the pec, you know, that's going to be your prime mover. And then you want to think too, when you add all that and even start adding rotation, you've got to stabilize on the planted arm. You're really having to focus on you're working the transverse plane because you're moving. Most people don't like to work the transverse plane, scares them. However, we know that more injuries occur there, so we need to incorporate it. So you can use this as an awesome dynamic warm-up. You can use this as a very slow and controlled, you know, for me, multiple benefits. But I'm looking at all of the different things that this one exercise alone can do for a person. And I just, I'm a huge huge believer in it, especially too. Now, when you think about people's necks, you know, that's mm -hmm. hard too. really getting them to retract, getting proper alignment, thinking about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And most importantly, this can be done anywhere. If you're traveling, if you're at home, if you're at the gym, you can do these everywhere. Yeah, no, they're, they're phenomenal for so many different reasons. You said core stability, shoulder stability. Again, these are something that I utilize frequently. Mm-hmm. thoracic rhythm. <laughs> Got to have some all rhythm that. and all That's that, all that work. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, Marty, tell me a little bit about your bottom up kettlebell press. Yeah, this is just one of the ones that, again, um, it's not the only exercise I use, but I truly, truly love it in the sense of, first and foremost, it makes you have a good, strong grip. And Wendy, you and I have talked about this. This is for another conversation, but the importance of grip strength as we age and I've done some research on to why that is, but that's for another day. But if you take a 15 pound dumbbell and 15 pound kettlebell, the kettlebell feels two times as heavy, same way, but it's because of that neuromuscular stabilization that is required. The other thing too, is I'm not in massive external rotation. If I was trying to use a bar or a machine, it forces you to go from your grip all the way through, depending if you're standing half kneeling one leg, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, your whole body's going to fire. I love the ability to have to keep my neck in the right position as well. So again, if you're really strong on these 25 to 30 pounds is going to be a lot of weight. So the other benefit to me is I get maximal muscle contraction with less load being delivered through my body. And again, I also get to see what's going on right versus left leg or right versus left arm. Mostly you could see right versus left leg if you're doing it in a balance standpoint or half kneeling. But I know, and Wendy, you and I, we've worked on this together my left shoulder is a little more unstable because of what happened in my rib cage from a, a, an injury in martial arts that I'm always working harder on my left. So this really lets me know how my correctives is going, because if I can do 12 to 15 reps on my right, turn over to my left, I should be close to that. If there's a gap, 
that means that it's not a lack of strength. It's a lack of stability and other things biomechanically causing me to not be able to do that kettlebell press as well. But if I was using a dumbbell or a machine, I would be able to hide my weakness through that and not get all that other activation. So again, there's so many progressions and regressions to this. And one of the funniest stories that made me really fall in love with this was I was in a gym and they had the plate loaded military press and a friend of mine or an acquaintance, I, I always call it T-Rex reps. You know, he was just going like this and he had three plates. So he thinks he's this incredibly strong guy. I'm doing a 25 pound kettlebell bottom up press. He goes, what are you doing? I said, just warming up. I said, try it. Now this guy, I'm 5'10", 165, 170. This guy's 5'10", 265. Wendy, he couldn't get the kettlebell past 90 degrees. You would have thought he was pushing it into the ceiling and like doing an isometric. And I'm just sitting there and you could see the frustration on his face. Put him back on that plate loaded where all he's got to do is apply some pressure. And in his mind, he was strong. Long story short, showed him the foam rolling and all the stuff that he'd want to do. Started doing these, comes back a month later, goes, my shoulder pain is going away. My bench press is going up. And I explained to him all of the hidden gems of what happens when you do that bottom up kettlebell press. So to me, this is something I love to put into my program one way or the other. You know, it's not always in there, but I don't usually get away from it for too long. Yes. And I use this a lot with my professional athletes, even, but especially like my basketball players, because, you know, and I, I force them to stay at a 90 degree angle with the shoulder and right. when they're doing it. And then again, as Marty said, you can advance this exercise without even having to do anything differently with the press, but what you can do on the lower body. And so you'll saw, you saw like in, in the, the list, single leg option. I mean, you can stand and do a single leg. So you're forcing again, think about, you know, the demand that your core has to have when you've got something loaded and you're pressing overhead on only one side of the body. So, you know, we talk about, you know, suitcase, what do they call it? Suitcase carries or farmer carries. Right. So it's kind of like this, but to me, almost on steroids, if you will. But then if you start to, you know, add in, like you see this kneeling, but think about going from kneeling and then standing up into a single leg to balance and then adding that press. Right. It takes a ton of, Yes, you're taking a ton of demand and they have to go as slow and controlled in order to maintain proper alignment throughout that bottom up kettlebell press if mm -hmm. you're maintaining proper positioning in different joint angles. So I love, love, love this exercise and, um, you know, for, for multiple reasons. But again, what you have listed for sure. Cool. Glad we agree. Yes. So Wendy, we're going to kick it over to you, but what we want to do is for anyone that's just joined us now, Wendy and I are basically talking about our hidden gems, exercises that pack a lot of punch. But if you go back and listen to how we introduced everything, it's about training movement patterns and then finding exercises that elicit the best responses with the least amount of risk. And sometimes when you bring these exercises in, you can really condense the amount of time you may need in the gym for those people that really need to get in and get out. Yes. And so, you know, and, you know, as we talked about movement patterns, well, this kind of brings back up to what we just discussed when we were talking about the importance of triple flexion, triple extension, obviously glute activation. And then now we're adding to one of my favorite things. And again, if you look at my two, these are pretty much dynamic warmups that we're doing, or we could, you know, put them obviously in our programming somewhere differently when we're doing legs or, you know, thinking about it, but I really like the rotational movements. I really like the transverse mm -hmm. plane because we overlook it so much and everything we do is, is often done in the sagittal plane. 
And so, you know, you can do, you know, walking lunges with rotation. And I always add the balance component again, because I'm working on triple extension, triple flexion. And then I'm also thinking about the, the parallel lines I discussed earlier. When you're going there, I'm really focusing on main, making sure that the leg that's forward, not only is the knee in line with the second and third toe, but that is the leg that should be doing all the work. The back leg is literally just a kickstand. And I think oftentimes we distribute our weight equally between the two legs. However, with that forward lean, a little bit of a forward lean, again, I'm not telling you to go into flexion, but if you have the proper mechanics of those parallel lines, you should be loading the quad and glute on the leg that's forward. And then when you add the rotation, maintaining proper knee position, as well as getting good thoracic mobility, which again, when you're thinking about the spine, the two areas that we want to stay stable should be the thoracic, I mean, uh, the cervical spine and the lumbar spine. We want to get mobility actually in the thoracic spine. And unfortunately with the rounded shoulders, the forward head, we start losing some of that thoracic mobility just based on compensation. So for me, it's really good with core strength. We're really trying to get good hip stability, hip I mean, thoracic mobility and again, quad glute activation. So making sure that we've got good, um, you know, good firing patterns. And then again, think about the foot and ankle. So when we're talking about the foot and ankle, like Marty just said, you're going to have to go into uh, triple extension, triple flexion. And we often know people are so tight in their calves, they're lacking dorsiflexion. So I'm trying to work on everything together. And as an integrated exercise, love this one because it's, <laughs> it's working a lot of stuff. Plus, I usually have my client bring the ball in as they come up to balance. So they'll step out, they'll rotate towards the leg that's forward. So if I step out with my right leg, I rotate to the right. I come up on the right leg, balance with the left. But as I'm balancing, I bring the ball back into my chest to give the shoulders a break. So again, as they lunge forward, their arms go into, you know, they extend their elbow. And so what am I doing? I'm still now working my arms as well. So when you think about this truly is a full body exercise in so many different reasons, but I'm also making sure it's very slow, very co controlled, very specific with ideal form. So therefore execution is looks phenomenal, if you will. <laughs> and the ironic thing is everything you said to the other hidden gems that I like is and the reason why we have them rotate over the lead leg is we're also getting hip internal rotation of the lead leg, which uh -huh. a lot of people don't have it. And as Wendy's saying, when you use that back leg as a kickstand, you can get first MTP joint extension, depending on the shoes you're wearing and things like that. So there's even more kind of hidden gems within that as well. It's a phenomenal exercise. Thanks, Marty. I think so too. <laughs> well, I left it for you. I know I'm telling you. I love this one as well. So I was excited when you chose this one yes. too. So now I couldn't find a picture. The head should be in the proper position. So when you look at this, it's very similar to the one that Wendy just talked about. So I like doing it when I'm really trying to target mobility of my thoracic and do some core in more of the isolated, even though this has got some level of integration because you're half kneeling and things like that, and you are moving. So if you get your arms all the way out into your lock position, I even go into a little protraction. I do the same thing Wendy talked about as I put the leg out in front, I'm going to rotate over the front leg to get my mobility just from the thoracic spine. So I get thoracic rotation and I also get hip internal rotation. And then if I keep my head straight ahead, I don't let my head follow my arms. I'm getting that separation between the cervical and the thoracic. You'll see some people let the head rotate 
But as it, Wendy had just said, this is supposed to stay stable while this turns. So I purposely get them to fix on something in front of them. I have them rotate over the lead leg. Cable is fine, but I love the band as well because of accommodating resistance is as I go into more rotation, there's more resistance. We're weaker in our end ranges of motion. So now I really have to work on those little muscles that create that rotation where at the cable, I may not get that extra hidden gem because the cable is going to provide the same resistance all the time. So that's why it's got to be the appropriate band. But then on the flip side is as I stop, that band's going to want to pull me back faster than a cable might. So I have to control it in both directions. So if I have the choice and I have the right equipment with me, I will pick a resistance band over a cable if I can because of that accommodating resistance and range of motion. But again, picture, I think it's pretty close. Head up, I'd want somebody in that full protracted position. And then I do my rotation through the thoracic spine. But, you know, could I rotate, do a pal off press and then rotate? Yeah, there's other things you can do with it. But to me, it's really getting thoracic rotation over lead leg hip internal rotation with cervical stability and lumbar yes. stability. And we have to think too, I mean, it, when you do it kneeling, if someone is kneeling correctly and their abs are drawn in and they're squeezing the leg that's down that glute, what are you doing? You're doing basically a proper, I mean, you may not be going into a posterior tilt, but you, you know, you should be making sure that if your glute is activated and your abs are in, you're going to get a really good hip flexor stretch at the same time. So it is right. a win-win in so many different ways. And as, as you guys will see in your overhead squats, often the hips are overactive. And so while we're actually working on different movement patterns, you know, and firing ranges and, and different, uh, you know, areas, as Marty just mentioned, you could be getting a little bit of a stretch in there too, that Absolutely. again, when you're doing 12 to 20 reps or whatever it is that you're doing, um, at a very slow tempo, that time and attention in that stretch is only going to benefit you to get better glute activation, especially when you start doing something like a lunge or step up or something moving, yep. you know, others. So absolutely. So Marty, I know we can only choose four. And those of you guys that are just joining us, Marty and I have talked about our hidden gems. And of course we talked about the importance of proper movement patterning. And then we talked about accidental exercise. And then of course the, the exercises we covered today with, you know, the push up with rotation, Marty's bottom up kettlebell presses. And then of course um, the walking lunge with rotation and now the kneeling, you know, uh, band rotation, I think, or half kneeling band rotation. I think, these are just some of the, like, we, we could do this all day, all but day. because we have to be very specific with your, your time, these are the ones that we chose to do first. So we do want to continue doing some hidden gems for you guys and the rationales that we have for them. But, um, you know, Marty, I know on the next slide, we're getting ready to, to wrap it up, but I really, really like our choices today for sure. Yeah. You know, and Again, there's nothing wrong with a bench press. There's nothing wrong with some of the more basic um, exercise that have been around forever. But again, we're just going to look at risk versus reward. And again, what are we trying to accomplish? And some of these can be part of your warm up, and then you get into some of your dumbbell presses and things like that. So we're not excluding those, but we wanted to highlight some of those exercises that might be overlooked and maybe a little bit misunderstood to how impactful they can be on your total programming. Mm -hmm. So see our key points. Are you training muscles or movements? Nothing wrong with activating the muscle. We do it in corrective exercise, but then we need to integrate that into movement patterning. And can we get a lot of bang for our buck? 
that's how we find the accidental exercises. And we've had Wendy, you and I know, oh, I don't have time to get through the whole model. And because somebody only has a half hour, it's like, really do those four exercises, two sets each, and let me know how you feel. We're at the right mm-hmm. tempos, right? So that's why, again, I think that this is so important because it's going to show you how impactful you can make some of your exercises. And then by, you got to learn by doing. This is one of the professions. You can go out and practice it, right? So go out, give these exercises a whirl, listen to the cues we gave you, do it the right tempos for the phase of training. And I think you're going to see, you're like, wow, I got some things fired up that maybe I don't normally do in my, in my program. Agree. Uh, exactly so those of you guys that want to contact marty and i feel free you can email me directly at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on instagram at wendy.bats13 and then my information's right there marty.miller at nasm.org and instagram dr.martymiller72 so wendy thanks for all that awesome insight and thank you all for attending and we look forward to seeing you again very soon on the next master instructor roundtable